The Great Improbability. This is part three of the audio drama. It has crossed my mind There's so little time That we lived In the sweet forever The Great Improbability An autobiographical mystery by the people of Earth David Sayer, author And so it comes to pass. Megan knows she has made a mistake almost immediately, having accepted a ride in desperate hope of some small friendship. This ain't the way to my house. <laughs> We're going to a party. I can't go. I got chores. Let me out. Shut up. Megan held the Gildersleeve School chin-up record and could beat up most of the boys in her class. But these boys are bigger and have deep voices and hair on their faces and muscles she can see under their sleeves. She starts to yell and scratch at their faces. Ow! God damn it, you bitch. Quit it or I'll kill you right here. Jesus, can't the two of you hold down one girl? Shut her up! Past the general store bounces the old truck, down past the tavern, down toward the river, around its bend that floods every spring, onto a dirt road past an abandoned water truck, waiting for another season of tobacco picking. The river's water is black, the fields haunted by black snakes and early death. The sun is low, making long shadows from the netting poles. Megan knows where they are, because she works summers sowing the shade-grown tobacco leaves on laths for the hangers. She recognizes the old barn, where the leaves are hung to cure, now deserted and silent. By a row of poles with shreds of netting still draped from their rough tops, the truck skids to a halt, and the boys pull the young woman from the truck bed and drag her along the muddy path and tie her to one of the poles and pull off her clothes. Megan can feel the pole cutting into her back, the rope scraping her wrists and belly. She looks across the sodden fields for help. An army of sentry posts stare back at her shame, silent, dark witnesses, cut off, long shorn of their branches and lives. She wills her brothers to come, for someone to drive by the river road, for a boat to follow the current toward the sea. But the damp land is silent, except for the crows, far off and unengaged. She is hoarse from screaming and knows it is hopeless. She closes her eyes and cries quietly. She tries to recite the rosary. The boys fumble with their pants. Rape is not really a crime of passion, Dr. Adams would say years later, but actually of violence, erupting from a magma of abuse and envy and insecurity and isolation, seeking satisfaction that is always elusive. 
visiting its frustration on those who trigger its desire and its wrath. The boys are spent before they can perform. The alcohol, the cold air, the fighting and screaming, and now the fear of consequences, all steal their intent. Staring at Megan's exposed flesh, trying to recall the heat of their fantasies, they find themselves quite impotent. Each one makes an excuse. Shit, she's too fucking homely. Colored don't look like white girls. I just had it last night anyway. Let's get out of here. All right, cut her down and let her walk home. To Megan, their voices sound far away, like her brother's conversation on a late-night trip as she curled up between them in the truck when she was little. Billy coughs (laughs) and spits and reasserts his leadership. All right, bitch, 